Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cinema Joes, where three average Joes discuss the significant topics of movie culture. My name is Alex. Today, I am joined, as always, with Noah. How are you doing, Noah? I stared into its deadlights, Alex. <laughs> oh, no. Did a kiss of true love bring you back? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, Justin is not able to join us today because he is uh, very excitedly busy directing his first play. So in his stead, we're joined by Sean Fallon from Blue Bantha Milk Co., the Star Wars YouTube channel. How are you doing today, Sean? Hello. I'm good. It's uh, it's good to be back. I, I always like to come and chat with you guys. Could have, well, I don't want to kind of jump ahead, but I could have done it. Could have liked to have done it with a better movie, but we, <laughs> we, we, you get what you get, don't you? So, yeah, usually you coming on is a good sign for us. You know, you came on for our Blade Runner <laughs> episode and for the favorite, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't. Unfortunately, the third movie is always the hardest one of the trilogy to pull off. So, <laughs> that's true. That third is third times the anti charm, I guess. <laughs> Yes, well, that's it. Yeah. Today we are going to be talking about it, chapter two. But before we get to that, we're going to do our full disclosure segment where we talk about one movie or a television show that we've been watching recently and just give our thoughts on it. So, since you are our guest, Sean, let's start off with you. What's something that you've been watching recently? Well, I've been watching the TV show Preacher, which has been it's been a weird one. I've sort of like I really enjoyed the comic books and all that, and then the show. Uh, it's been fine. You know, it's been a weird one because it's like, it's sort of addictive, but I wouldn't tell anyone else to watch it. It's it's a bit of a weird thing. But the, the final season was all filmed in Melbourne, Australia. And my brother-in-law worked as a location scout on the, on the series. So it's been really cool to kind of see different things and then be able to like text him and say, where did you find this diner? Where did you find Cause it's supposed to be set in like Texas and the Middle East, but it's all just filmed down the road for me. Huh. So it's just been a lot of uh, stuff like that, but it's been good. It's been, it's, it's a fun little show. It's the fourth season's the final season. And uh, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. It's, it's fine. It's um, visual junk food. <laughs> now you said that you that you read the comics that it was based on. I understand that that show yep. kind of deviates pretty significantly from the source material. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like it, it hits. It's hit most of the beats, but it's like mixed them up. Um, and I think a lot of it has been like they've had to water it down for TV, so a few of the characters aren't as bad as they were, or. Certain plot lines have to be expanded out for a really long time, which I think has been a bit of a problem because the show has had this. It's supposed to be a, the whole story is supposed to be a road trip, so the comic book like moves throughout America, but the show kind of like gets to a location and then will stick there for ten episodes, oh. and the plot line will very slowly chug along, and then at the, on the last episode they'll move to somewhere else. So yeah, it's it's been weird, like the way they've mixed it all together, but it's. It's fun. It's a fun little weird show. It's pretty gross, and um, it does some weird, weird ideas. So, yeah, it's probably worth a watch if you <laughs> just want something to throw on. <laughs> and this is adapted by Evan Goldberg, right? And Seth Rogen. Have you watched their other comic book TV adaptation, The Boys, which came out for Amazon earlier this summer? I haven't. I heard it's fantastic, though. So I'm definitely going to give that a watch, because that is another one that I read and was like, 
I absolutely loved. Because I think Garth Ennis writes these very weird, violent, immature comics that are quite clever at their core. So I'll be intrigued to see how, how dark they go with the boys. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I actually, I recently watched that whole series and uh, it gets pretty dark. It gets pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's okay. also cool. very... It's very like Bush era politics, which yeah. And yeah. when I looked it up, like it was written during that time, and it really, even in the adaptation, it really shows. I was getting kind of PTSD flashbacks to some of the political yeah. rhetoric of that era when I was watching it. I've just started reading the the comics again, actually, of that, and it's very much like a big plot point is like September 11th and stuff. It's yeah, it's of that time so much, like military. Uh, yeah, it's. A lot of Guantanamo Bay stuff and all that. So, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah. It's the two young leads, especially, are really good on that show. I recommend it. Okay. Noah, what have you been watching? Well, most recently, Stella and I, or my wife and I, worked through the third season of Glow, which finally dropped in Netflix and that both of us have been eagerly awaiting for because uh, I mentioned... I'm trying, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I, I talked about Glow on full disclosure after I saw the first two seasons, and I was really, really surprised by how much I dug it um, and how much the the stories and the characters uh, and the, the topic of the show, you know, this a loose, loosely based on actual women's wrestling programs from the 80s, I was really shocked by how well the show like took me in uh, and got me interested in it. And I think, and I found it to be really, really good. I like the writing, I like the characters, I like the acting. And for me, season three, I don't know if either of you, uh, well, Alex, I know that you've seen Glow. Yes, yeah, and I actually just caught up with the third season as well. Okay. I've been, I was sick for about two weeks and just like stuck in bed and did nothing but watch TV. So I caught up on a lot of TV shows. Okay, okay. Well, I, Glow was definitely one of them. For my, for my part, I really dug the third season. I liked the fact that in the past, like actually seeing the episodes like seeing the wrestling matches were a part of a lot of the episodes uh, but they really askew that you see almost nothing of the actual wrestling performances this time around and the focus is all on behind the scenes on the behind the scenes drama um and character development and there's a lot a lot in it because the, the third season is the whole show it becomes a live show in las vegas and there is so oh, okay. much in there about like it really leans into sexism and misogyny uh, and to a lesser extent homophobia within uh, the entertainment industry. And especially in the wake of uh, Me Too. Uh, wow. <laughs> it's there's some moments in this in the third season that are very hard to watch in a good sense, like of how inc very viscerally real. Uh, they feel where male, male characters do or say or assume things and it, just, it feels like a gut punch and you're just like oh oh man that's right yeah. these are the people who <laughs> these are the people who control the gateways to our culture oh no yeah so i i dug the third season i was a bit frustrated with how it ended like feeling like it leaned a little bit more in towards like teasing oh maybe you know this 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 or that could happen as opposed to just bringing to this really solid season to a conclusion, but that's a, a fairly minor, quib minor quibble. For, for my money, the show has continued to get better. 
So what did you think, Alex? I really liked this season as well. I thought that I so in the first season I liked I liked the series. I thought that it had a really strong ensemble and it utilized that ensemble really well, but it didn't always go as deep into the storylines as I would have liked. And in season two, I felt like it went really deep in a couple of storylines, mm-hmm. but kind of at the expense of the wider ensemble where yeah. a lot of people just kind of fell into the background. Season three, I think, did a really good job of balancing those two issues. And I think it's definitely the best of the three seasons. I thought that the minor character beats that they were able to play and the really like powerful like season-long story arcs that they that they displayed were all mm-hmm. really, really effectively done. And it's just such an incredibly talented cast of diverse and interesting women. And yeah, I'm, I'm just such a huge fan yeah. of the show. It's definitely, it's honestly one of my favorite seasons of television that I've seen so far this year. And so I can't recommend wow. it higher. I have to say for me personally, and I, I would not dare to spoil the specifics uh, because I think everyone should watch the show anyway. And it's most effective if you don't see it coming. There are certain story beats and developments in regards to the character of Sheila that for me were like just the biggest holy shit mic drop. Wow. I did not see that coming uh, character beats in the entire, like that really, like that was the part of the season that on a personal level, I I felt the most uh, emotionally affected by uh, because of how well they're set up, how well they're set up, they're written and how well they're carried out yeah i think that i think that the show has often struggled with that character in the past because she's such an interesting and unique character for a television show and they just often didn't know what to do with her or how well to utilize her and i think this season just leaned into Mm -hmm. her as a character in a really effective way so i'm i'm like a really big fan of what they did with her character and i just in general this is a much queerer season of the show and (laughs) i like really (laughs) dig that so I'm really happy with how that. I mean, especially given out. that it's taking place in the '80s, I think it's important that they they found a way to to bring that into the show more. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And so that sounds really good. Yeah. Have you watched any of Glow, Sean? I I um uh, I did one of those weird things like me and my wife started watching the first season and we really enjoyed it and then. You know, like sometimes that happens. You're like watching a show and you're really enjoying it, and then there's like a hiccup and you stop watching it, and then you just never go back. What happens all the time? <laughs> that was sort of what happened to us. Yeah. So we always sign up on Netflix and we're like, "Oh yeah, Glow. We'll have to get back into that." And then we don't. You know, we watch something else. We end up watching like Peaky Blinders or something. But yeah, we will. We will definitely get it back into it because I've, I've heard great things and we really enjoyed what we'd seen. So yeah, I'll take your recommendation. Go back in. For me, it was always one of those shows that I I liked, but not as much as everyone else seemed to. And this most recent season, uh, yeah. I definitely like. I think I liked it even more than most people did. So it's a, a really strong recommendation on that one. I guess for for me, I'll just complete the hat trick of uh, TV shows and talk a little bit about Mind Hunter, which is the David Fincher show that's Ooh, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, when this show originally came out in two thousand and seventeen. I always wanted to get around to it, but it aired in like December, which is a very busy time for movies and TV shows. And I just, it's all about the birth of the criminal profiling unit in the FBI in the late Mm -hmm. 70s. 
And like, so they're studying serial killers and things like that. And that's just not a, like a topic that I'm super interested in. I know a lot of people love true crime and all that stuff. So I, so I caught up with the first season and then I watched the second season. And the second season is so incredible. Like the first season was very good. Second season is like out of this world good. It's such a, it's like, it's definitely the best thing that David Fincher has given us in the last like five or six years oh wow and it's just like they made the choice in season one to focus a lot on the jonathan groff character and he's really good and he's a very interesting character but as a result of focusing so much on him uh his two like partners in the fbi played by holt mccallini and anna torv kind of don't get as big of a spotlight and in season two they really get pushed to the forefront and you get a lot more time with their personal life and how it reflects in their work and they just are giving such interesting unique performances that i just could watch for hours and it's just it's just such a really really well made a television show it does it feels almost unfair to call it a television show because it really is a cinematic experience over the course yep. of uh like eight hours um and the directors it's partially it's directed by david fincher and carl franklin and andrew dominic this season and all of them are oh, yeah they're very talented filmmakers that you don't really they don't do a lot unfortunately so they yeah. they have just such a really interesting visual eye and the the season the season two is kind of broken down in in like halves so like the first half is very much a lot of the kind of more famous serial killers of the 70s like son of sam and and uh charles manson like they get really really fun highlights in the early episodes and then the second half of the season is devoted to these child killings that happened in Atlanta in the late 70s where just uh, yeah. dozens and dozens of of poor black children mostly boys were being murdered um kidnapped and then murdered and it really it the it handles this really like tricky storyline very very effectively in a way that is kind of it feels very accurate to what probably happened at the time and it's also very bleak and uh kind of devastating <laughs> in terms of how how like systemic racism and politics gets in the way of justice for this community and it's it's just so well handled and just like everything about this show is great i could honestly talk about it for hours <laughs> sean have you watched any of this yet I watched the first season and I loved it. Um, I lo- there, there was so many things I loved about it, but one thing I thought was really cool was that the episodes had different lengths, so you would find that it never felt like anything was too long. If that made any sense, so like you would be what there was one episode in the first season that was only like half an hour long. Like the rest of them were like forty five minutes to an hour, right? And then one episode that only had half an hour of story only went on for half an hour. Which I really enjoyed because there's so many shows where you're watching it and you're like, yeah, this is an hour long, but you you're telling a 20 minute story. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was I like that was just one little bit of it. Else, the performances were fantastic. The guy who plays I can't remember his name, the serial killer, the really tall dude with the mustache, he is incredible. Kemper, like, he is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's that and. Oh my god, his I saw a picture of the real guy and he looks exactly like the actor who plays him too, which is yeah. even creepier. <laughs> That's it's freaky. He was in um he was like a guest star in Barry, like the Bill Hader show. And it took me a minute to be like, "Oh wait, no, this isn't 
because um, I'm like that guy's a serial killer. Kill him! I'm like, oh wait, no, he's not. <laughs> that's a but no, that's a different thing. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's cool. This... I do it. I, I want to watch second season because it's great. Love Fincher and all that. He plays that kind of like stereotypical serial killer where he's like super calm and methodical and very charismatic and intelligent, and he just really wants to explain to you why he uh, cut his mother's head off and then had sex with it. Um, so yay, <laughs> yeah, that's. I smell a cracked article. <laughs> yeah, that is a that's a tough watch, but um, but it's really good, and I, I really recommend everybody checking it out. So moving moving into our main topic. Moving on, Alex, because it's time to float. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I want to start out with a simple question about it chapter 2, which is do you guys think that it floated? <laughs> <laughs> um is is floating good or is it like floated like a turd or floated like <laughs> a balloon? <laughs> yeah, well I think in the it canon I think floating is definitely a bad thing. So <laughs> Oh, okay. Then yes. <laughs> did did you guys so I'll start with you Sean. What did you think about the first it? Because we we didn't record an episode on it at the time. Um I don't think we really talked about it that much. Were you a fan of the first installment in this duology? Um No, to be honest, not really. It was it wasn't that it was bad. It was just that well the what I kept saying about it was it was like someone had watched Jaws and said, oh, this film's fantastic, but wouldn't it be better if the shark was in every scene? <laughs> and that was the sort of thing with it. Like they, they had this very interesting villain, but they couldn't resist constantly just having him there. So you just got really desensitized. I mean, it was fine. Like I sort of watched it and I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. It's not bad. It's well made. There was a couple of cool moments. I loved the book of it when I read it when I was in like university and it scared the shit out of me. And it was a thousand pages long and was scary from beginning to end. <laughs> but the film was like a bit of a weird one because I, 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 it's not bad, but it is only like aggressively okay. Like it's it's determined not to go forward, and it's it was fine. But just the clown was scary in theory, but not in practice. Like I was never scared. It felt like a horror film for people who don't like horror films. <laughs> that it's funny that you say that, because uh, I am a person who doesn't particularly like horror films, and I actually kind of liked it. The movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> just because for me, what I liked about it. The about it was like because I don't like to be scared really like I'm not a person who really oh, enjoys yeah. to go into a movie theater and and be terrified that's just not my thing and so what I liked about the movie was that it kind of felt like it was channeling this this idea of like what is scary to kids and so yeah. I never felt particularly scared about what was happening on screen but it felt rooted in the characters of those children that we were watching and so I kind of appreciated on that level and it it for okay. and for me it worked as like a very solid kind of like blockbuster entertainment movie. You know, it's not it wasn't like in my top ten of the year or anything, but I found like as like in terms of a popcorn mm. movie, I thought it was really enjoyable. I really liked what uh, Bill Skarsgård was doing. He made a lot of strange and unexpected choices, and I think most of them worked. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love the kids. I was a huge fan of that group of kids. I mean, there was probably about one or two too many in the group, but. I thought all those young actors were really good, really like really inhabited those mm. characters in a way that made them felt like instantly iconic. And I just really enjoyed it. But I wasn't sure about 
going in for a sequel because I had heard that so much of what made the book really good was the stuff with the kids and that the adult stuff didn't really work out too well. Mm. And so that made me nervous about giving over like the whole a whole second movie to an adults centered storyline. And then especially knowing that it was almost three hours long <laughs> definitely made me concerned. But uh but before yeah. we get into that, Noah, like just briefly, like what were your thoughts of the original? I saw the original it four days ago for the first ever time. <laughs> I went I went into it oh, um, cool. okay. oh, wow. purely for preparation for this review. Uh, I went into it with having never read, I've read other Stephen King stuff, but I've never read it. And I know the Tim Curry uh, miniseries only through reputation for being phenomenally mm. silly. And the bits of it that I've seen, I would agree, no, that's not scary. This yeah. is just hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Tim Curry's great. Tim Curry's Tim Curry, yeah. but... <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I did, act, I, I, when I was in college, I saw that whole miniseries and it was, I had a, I have a friend who was like huge into horror, like growing up, she was like the girl who like loved horror movies and like Alien and all that stuff. And so she, finally she like cornered me in her house one day. I was like, we're going to watch it because it's like a seminal classic and you have to see it. I was like, okay, fine. And we watched, I was like, this is the movie that scared the hell out of you when you were eight? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> so, and I don't really remember a whole lot about it. I, the most, the, the thing that sticks out the most for me in my memory was that like the Chinese restaurant scene uh, or with all those like creepy crawlies coming out of the uh, fortune cookies. Cause I just remember being like, okay, what is this movie? Yeah. How was this scary to you? <laughs> and she's like, well, I guess I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that was mm. my, and that was kind of what I was afraid of about this new movie because it was like, oh, well that scene's going to happen. Are they going to be able to pull it off? <laughs> um, so I guess, nope. <laughs> yeah. Sean, do you think that they pulled it off? Like, what do you think about it? Chapter two? I, I think they, I think they ran into the problem of so it, the book follows the structure of like the I think it starts with like the hate crime and then Mike uh, grown up and middle aged Mike calls everyone and they come back to Derry and then as they meet oh so that the 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 homophobic hate crime is in the book it is yeah so that's that's how it starts okay because I was confused watching this movie I was like. What? Why are we watching this? This is just terrible and depressing. Yeah, like why? <laughs> it was that, it, it, and it's a weird one because in the book they go really deep into it. The idea that like Pennywise coming back has like poisoned everyone's minds. So suddenly people who would have been like super cool are now doing hate. You know, hate. You know, okay, which would yeah. Um, that the way it's done in the movie in this in part two, it felt like a, it felt clunky to me. Yeah, yeah. it's because they never like they I, never I come back this to just, it. This feels out of place. I don't know these people. I don't care. Yeah, yeah we should and we I should mean, say that the hate crime has been a point of major contention since the film has come out. A lot of people have been yeah. really offended by by its inclusion and especially how brutal it is. Um, I kind of have a complicated feeling towards that opening sequence. Uh, one, because I didn't know it was coming. I hadn't seen, I hadn't read the book, and I didn't realize that this was an important part of the story. So I was very much caught off guard. Um, and just, you know, as a gay person, it's just sometimes very difficult to sit through a, a gay bashing, especially like that, because it's kind of, of like your worst fear. Um, and it's still, you know, I mean, things mm. have gotten better in, especially in countries like America and Australia and things and places like that. But 
still these types of things happen every day um and you really never you're, yeah. you really can't yeah. always you never feel 100% safe when you're in a couple and you're walking down the street so yeah it come like so being just kind of brutally assaulted by seeing this assault was difficult especially that it was my favorite queer director Xavier Dolan uh who I was very <laughs> not not expecting to see in that role yeah. and i also just felt like when i was watching it initially that it was just this kind of gross like scene setting uh, excuse for the movie to be like oh look how brutal and and backwards and terrible this town is yeah. and that that was all it was going to be um because i just didn't trust that the movie that i was about to start was going to handle queer issues in a in a subtle or nuanced way at all um but what i will say is is that it actually surprised me how much like how important that scene turned out to be especially for understanding Bill Hader's character's arc in the film and i think that by the end of the movie yes. that scene retroactively really played a really important role for me um and did and was kind of like a very artful way of doing a lot of heavy lifting for that Bill Hader character arc and so i kind of came back around to it now i hear a lot of people criticizing it saying that this scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie and it doesn't really and it so therefore it feels gratuitous and i just really disagree with that i mean what do you guys think i it felt gratuitous for me in the moment um but given the fact that they do uh have really i think a remarkably um subtle and well done uh bit about bill Hader's character again like it's not even that they explicitly he explicitly has a coming out moment or anything but it's it's clearly established that there's something about his sexuality that he's been hiding from or running from and that is maybe in part what defines his character of being very caustic you yep. know iconoclastic in your face and that that probably plays a role i felt the the flashback with him as a kid with finn wolfhart um as the the young bill hater I'm going to call them by the Rich, actors. Richie was <laughs> the characters. I'm not going to learn them. <laughs> Richie, yeah. Um, the way that it's done, like just with a single brief shot, I thought was incredibly well done. I'm like, most movies would not have the confidence to try something like that. They would insist on being director and more explicit, yeah. which in and of itself is less can can be less artistic and can be a bit more clunkier. Uh, but I really liked how they they established they had that shot establishing it, and then immediately why he feels a sense of embarrassment or or threat mm. in regards to that because of what happens immediately after that. Yeah, and I also, just to jump on that, I also think that it really, I think it's important for the larger arc, like the larger theme of the film, which is about how these these childhood traumas that create shame can carry with you into your adult life in a way that can mm -hmm. be debilitating and keep you from being self-actualized. I mean, you see that with in terms of queerness with with Bill Hader's Richie, but you know Jessica Chastain's character is also in terms of like yeah. uh, uh, domestic abuse. You really see that connection. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. you don't get as much from a lot of the characters in their adult life to like really make that theme connect with all of them. But I think that is what they were trying to do with all of them. Um, yeah. Like, you know, Mike's inability to leave the town because he would be is, is kind of, it's connected to that same theme. And, and I'm sure that if you like pushed the, the screenwriters, they would be able to tell you how all of the characters are united by that theme. I just, 
think part of what's wrong with this movie is that they don't nail that with each of the mm. seven characters. But but I really but I really applaud the movie for trying to do that. And I do think that 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 early scene with the gay bashing is actually like a really important way to establish that as a thematic th- through line. Sean, what do you think? Um, well, like I say, I, I sort of knew it was coming from the from the book because I knew that was like the inciting incident. But to be honest, I never, I didn't really think about it in terms of like later events and like Bill Hader's character. Like what you've just said there was actually quite um, illuminating because I was sort of like, I think the thing is because it is quite subtle and it's 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 incredibly subtle for a movie that doesn't do anything subtly. You know, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that one yeah. sequence good point yeah i mean that one sequence is like that very subtle thing where they're playing the video game and all that and then like is followed by a big cgi paul bunyan trying to kill him you know what i mean it's <laughs> it's it's a weird film in that sense yeah. so i did i didn't it didn't occur to me that they would kind of put that in as a subtle sort of reminder that the town is uh there's a lot there's a lot to be scared of in Derry, and it's not just the clown you know, there's a lot of weird because the idea mm-hmm. has always been that the clown's presence just infects everyone. So all the grown-ups are a bit, a bit wild and all that. But yeah, no, I think that's that's cool. I didn't even think about it in terms of that, but that's interesting. Mm. And I think it's Bill Hader's character who gets like the the best and most comprehensive treatment in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, that that for me, his character and his performance. I thought was one of the best parts of of chapter two. I, yeah, I mean, I thought Finn, I thought Finn Wolfhard's character was one of the best parts about the first movie. He's, yeah, so. he's yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's I think, but like Finn Wolfhard's character in the first movie is is a bit more comic relief, whereas here he really feels like a real. Yeah, he feels like the only character that truly gets a real arc. Like I know they try they pay lip service to mm. to James McAvoy's character, but he kind of just I don't know his story felt like it was just recycling what happened in the first movie. Like he has to deal with the fact that Georgie died and that it wasn't his fault, and I felt like that was what the whole first movie was about. So then to see him regress. In the second movie, like, I guess it makes sense. Like, you go back to your hometown, you regress into past traumas. Okay. But it's just kind of clunky. And it doesn't really connect with some of the more interesting things going on. I guess before we get into what's not great about the movie, because I feel like we all have a lot to talk about, about what's not great. Is there anything beyond Bill Hader's really excellent performance that you guys want to highlight as a a good thing about this almost three-hour film? No. (laughs) I I mean, well... I I dig Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. So well, yeah. all of the, I mean, giant, massive CGI monster Pennywise is just absurd, but not, it, it ultimately wasn't, I was expecting a lot of absurdity. I'd hope that the absurd stuff would be like Tim Curry absurd in that it would sort of turn around on itself and kind of become brilliant yeah. <laughs> through its own absurdity, but it ended up just being ridiculous. Yeah. But when Pennywise is, normal size and is just interacting with the the other people in the world for the most part i thought i really dug all of those scenes and i really liked what what bill skarsgård did with the character uh i mean the, the primary example for me is the scene uh beneath the bleachers at the baseball game yeah yeah uh with the little girl with the the facial scar really liked that whole scene uh, like those those types of moments you know where there's a lot of darkness and you know pennywise is being less over the top and more just really insanely creepy or the the bit of i guess unmaked made up pennywise in uh, jessica chastain's former yeah, apartment yeah 
That was cool. Like moment moments like that i really dug stuff like that so i really don't have any criticisms for bill skarsgård or for his, his performance or for most of the stuff that he does with the role yeah i mean what, um, what i really liked about that bleacher scene specifically was that i feel like we kind of discount a lot of the in, like interactions that he has with kids in the first movie as like okay well you know it was the 80s people kids were more innocent they weren't as exposed to like the bad stuff so maybe they might not realize that this is like a crazy creepy clown and they shouldn't talk to him <laughs> but in like 20 like when this movie takes place which i guess is like 29 2016 like it would be really hard to believe that just a random kid would just like walk up to this clown and be like oh you seem interesting like let's talk yeah. but so i felt like they really played that the reality of that in a really cool way where it was like oh like she immediately is suspicious of him as she should be but then he kind of like gets her with her being a bully which is very kind of you know that feels like that would really dig into that kid particularly but also just kids in general now like that was a very it just Mm -hmm. it really he really felt like a very accurate child predator which was very unsettling um in a way that they never really felt Mm -hmm. in the first movie to me because he was just so cartoonishly evil you know so i think that was probably his best scene for me uh sean what do you think about bill skarsgård's performance i think when it's like toned down it's really good like, I think the opening of It Chapter 1 with the drain and Georgie is outstanding. Like, that that's perfect level Bill Skarsgård creepiness, where he's just like... I think there's a thing that they do really well where he's always, like, drooling. Like, that sort of, like, gross drooling. Like, he's just, like, is, like mouth-watering at the prospect of eating mm. these kids. I think... I think the thing that actually was really good outside of Bill Skarsgård was that whole scene where... Jessica Chastain goes back to the childhood home and the old woman's there. Um, and all of that creepiness that was like in the trailer and all that. But then it was really good until it was a big CGI reveal. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is, you've lost all that good, that good stuff. You know, you've built that creepiness and then you've just lost it. And I think that's what they keep doing. They build up this cool creepiness and then it's a giant spider or it's a big <laughs> CGI thing. Yeah. Yeah, Um. (laughs) no, I agree completely. I think that, like, Andy Machete is the director, and I think he is really, really effective at being patient and really creating a mood and an atmosphere that then gets completely destroyed by, like, nonsense special effects that don't mean anything to the movie (laughs) and are instantly not scary. Mm. It's like, it's just such a... He makes that choice over and over again in a way that is just so confusing. Uh, Well, and I mean, there's there's much there's much less of that in the first movie, partially because they couldn't afford to. Like the first movie had a much smaller yeah. budget, and I think that helped. But it, I think the reason why the budget, I think the reason why the budget got so bloated is that the first movie turned such a massive, yeah. like it was a massively yeah, it made like eight hundred million dollars worldwide. Uh, it was insane. It's the highest well, grossing rated R film of all time. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's not a Marvel movie making eight hundred million dollars. That's like a thirty, yeah. thirty-five million Stephen budget Stephen King adaptation. That like in proportion wise, that's that's yeah. nuts. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. It's a horror movie for people who probably wouldn't have usually gone to see horror movies, 
And I think the thing is, a bunch of people probably went to go see it, and then they were speaking to their friends, and their friends were like, oh no, I hate horror films, and they would have gone like, well, actually, to be honest, it's not that scary, it's more spooky. And then more people would have gone to see it, and more and more and more. I could, That's, I, could I literally had that conversation. I could see myself as a six-year-old watching this movie and being terrified. <laughs> oh. I could see myself as a kid being terrified oh. by this, the first yeah, movie. The first one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was scared of everything when I was a kid. I, I once saw like one of those, the pumpkin head movies, I saw like 15 minutes of that, and I couldn't sleep for like a month. Uh, so, <laughs> this definitely would have, I would have destroyed me but uh (laughs) but yeah no i totally know what you're saying and i just i don't know this movie man it's just like so some of the things that didn't work for me are basically like the end like the middle 90 minutes like like, oh it was just like the same scene over and over and over yeah and like for like so the pennywise stuff like his performance is really strong but the rules of pennywise make like no sense at all like it was a little hard to follow in the first kill them (laughs) yeah like it was a little hard to follow in the first movie where it was just like why are they like he could kill these kids at any point like why is it going on like this but in this movie it was so much worse where it's just like can he not kill them because they're adults like is that why the that he like let the bully out but then also we're flashing back to all of these scenes where he where they were kids on their own and he was messing with them and like why he could have killed them in all of those scenes at any point and it's just like and the fact that we just see it over and over and over again because we need to do it six times it's just yeah. it's rough like i i was thinking well, yeah. like maybe if they had done it in like sort of a montage way where all of the scenes are climaxing in the same at the same time maybe that would have been more effective oh, yeah that would have been good but, yeah just like yeah. just like from all sides yeah but it's just the way that well, they had it it was just yeah. you're constantly like you're following each of these individual characters in a way where it is impossible to build any narrative momentum for a really long time. It's just like, I don't, yeah. and it was also that way they can get these totems from their past, which like, I, I didn't even track some of them. Like, you, I, I swear, when they got to the moment where they had to put in the totems, I was like, wait, which is this person's totem? Which, what's that person do? She, he, she, he didn't get anything from his flashback. It's like, and that's a major failing of the movie, if I'm thinking that in that moment. Well, the thing that was weird, like, I, after I left the film, I was, I, I, I was on the phone to someone, and I was saying, like, the weirdest element of it was the movie had, like, such a reverence for the first film. It would be like if The Force Awakens came out like two years after Return of the Jedi and was all very like, all like reverent and flashing back to to Star Wars. And you're like, that first movie wasn't some, you know, it's not like 20 years have passed and we're like, oh my God, it's that classic horror film. It was, it just had this weird thing. Yeah. Yeah, the eight-year-olds who saw it and were transfixed are only ten now. <laughs> yeah, so. that's it. You know what I mean? It's not. It hasn't been. They this, don't like, yet have disposable income. They don't have summer jobs yet. Yeah, it, it wasn't this like life-changing horror movie that we're all like, you know, is, is like this shared experience by culture. It's just like, yeah, it was. It was a pretty good horror film, and this is the sequel. But it's not. Well, I, sorry to just quickly go back, like on your Pennywise rules thing. In the first film, it's like, oh, he likes to scare them because it's like, you know, whatever, like tenderizing meat. It, but it that only seems. I was just about to say. But it only seems to apply to them because <laughs> under the bleachers, he calms that the girl with the uh, birthmark. He calms her down till she's not scared, and then he kills her. Right. 
So, and it's also not just kids because the hate crime yeah. at the beginning—that's an adult yeah. that he's tearing he can, the spleen out of. Exactly. So he can kill whoever he wants. It's just this weird, like, um, narrative rule that he can't kill a main character and until he can. <laughs> yeah. You know, until until he can kill Eddie. <laughs> I remember, like, when in following like Game of Thrones over the years, there would be a lot of talk about plot armor, <laughs> yeah. where it's like, oh, this person yeah. can't die because they have plot armor. Like, the story needs Jon Snow to live, otherwise, like, what were we doing for the last five years? So obviously, he's not really dead. Uh, spoilers for yeah. Game of Thrones, <laughs> and that's kind of how I felt yeah. with these kids. Like, they all had plot armor the whole time. So it's like there's no stakes, which is weird because the movie starts with one of the main seven dying. So you would think, oh wow, yeah. now anything on the table and then it wasn't at all like at no point did you feel like any of them were really at risk and that feels like a mistake what did you guys feel about how that suicide was handled oh, yeah that was i thought that was such gross <laughs> that was that when he put the glass in the hand i was like that is a that is severed a nerve that guy's never using that hand again <laughs> like that is that is irrevocable damage um yeah i think yeah, it's done about as well as it's done in the the film in the other film in the book. I just thought that in, he... well, in the book is it also like is it strategic? He's like, well, if I kill myself, I can't, they're guaranteed to succeed. I can't remember. Um, and I, that did really kind of when that happened, I was a little again when that was revealed in the movie, I was like, oh, that's again, it's it's a weird thing that sort of removes stakes because it's like the idea I always took is like he killed himself because the because. Obviously, when you read the book, all that stuff at the start of this film is the start of the book. And then when they all meet up together and they start talking about their pasts, then the book flashes back. And then we have the first movie and it kind of cuts between the two. So they were, they've kind of trapped themselves with this film because the narrative is basically we're waiting for the main characters to remember the events of the first film that we've already seen. So we're, we're like waiting for them to catch up to us. So when you're reading the book and Stanley kills himself because the idea of going back to the town is too terrifying, you're like, why? Oh my God, what's in the town? You know, that's so bad. Whereas here we're like, oh, we know what it is. Right. And we know why he doesn't go back. And like, honestly, I mm. felt like it's believable to me that he would be so frightened over what happened that he might want to just kill himself. And like, especially with what happened to that poor kid, like we see, like he gets his face almost ripped off in the first movie. So you're like, yeah. you could buy that. But the, the way that they handled it at the end where they feel like they need to justify it, where it's like, oh, well, he was, he was a coward for killing himself. So now we need to justify that really he was actually brave this whole time and he sacrificed him. He was actually a Dumbledore level <laughs> Like he mastermind. actually sacrificed yeah. himself to bring the whole group together. I saved myself by killing it's like, myself. So, it's just so gross because it's like number one there's no like people who kill themselves are not cowardly like it's not like that's a very yeah. very terrible thing that people do because they feel like they have to and it's very difficult for them it's a tragedy it's not an act of cowardice so you shouldn't feel like you need to justify that by turning it into something brave because also that's yeah. a terrible message to be like well I'm just going to kill myself so that my friends all will get together without me like what like <laughs> really and offensive like, it's it, yeah and it's basic it's justified as like if one of us is not like all their heart and soul then that guarantees pennywise a win like 
Why? Yeah, well, and why, how does he know all this stuff? Yeah, there's no reason like, to believe that that's everyone true. Everyone else has no <laughs> recollection of anything, and and but he's like, oh, like yeah. this is a, I'm like, wow, this is a very wild assumption this guy is making, and then using it to kill himself right after his wife just took him a vacation. <laughs> well, yeah. That's and like, not, not we cool, no, man. we have no indication that it's an unhappy marriage, that there are any other problems in his life. Yeah. And that also doesn't ever, that doesn't come back, that doesn't factor in at all. Like, a couple of times they're like, well, we should do this because, like, because he's already dead and we might be next. But they're very, un, like, they they waver all the time in their certitude of, of like, whether it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And when they're in that moment in the caves, nobody's like, well, Stan killed himself, so we have to do it for him. At that point, nobody's talking about Stan at all. So how exactly a, did yeah. that work? Like, what do you, like, <laughs> when they're all doubting Mike in the cave in that moment... Then they all have their own little like flashbacks and have to deal with their traumas, and mm. then they come back and they believe again. Stan never factors into that at all. So like, it's just a really weird choice, I think. Uh, he's he becomes inspiration for Bill Hader. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Like, you go back to the bar he remembers. Mitzvah, yeah. He remembers the yeah, bar mitzvah. I guess that's true. Yeah, and he has. I like that moment where he's sitting alone in the synagogue and he says, "Thanks for showing up, Stan." Yeah. Like that, almost as if, like almost as if he was feeling the presence of Stanley in in through that. Memory Although when he actually shows up a little while later, it's not really that great of a scene <laughs> when his head pops it's... up as a spider. Oh, you mean the head? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and that up up until the yeah. spider moment, I was like, okay, this is creepy. This is un- this is yeah unsettling. Like this is this is good horror. And then the spider. <laughs> yeah, that's more comedy. Like when Bill Hader looks up, and is like, oh, there he is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that was a weird <laughs> thing as well. Like with the sort of tone, when Eddie gets <laughs> stabbed in the face, laughing. and like Eddie gets stabbed in the face, and that should be like a legitimately scary moment, but it felt like it was totally just played for comedy. Yeah, like I was just watching it, being like, "What is the tone of this scene where he like just gets in the bathtub?" That's true. And it also like, is this very is your one scene where you can't do any CGI, and you and you you messed it up. It's it's also like really like narratively messy for her, Eddie's arc because it's like. Within a couple hours, he calmly murder like tr- like stabs an assailant, and then is also yeah. too afraid to like grab a hammer for his friend. It's like, I don't like how could that possibly happen? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like that those two events happen so closely together, and they basically show the exact opposite personality in the guy. <laughs> like I don't know. It just it really that was that was weird for me. It, yeah, tonally all over the place. Not 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 sure. Couldn't couldn't quite lock it down. It was like, am I scared? Am I laughing? Am mm. I? I mean, I did sort of. I ne- I was never really bored per se. Like, even though it's like a three hour movie, I was never kind of like wiggling around in my seat. I was kind of constantly sort of fascinated by it. But I was fascinated in the sense of like when you had those sort of like flashbacks back to back. I was sort of like, really? That's what they're gonna do? They're gonna just do? Six consecutive <laughs> double jump scares. Yeah, know? it's wow. It's a really interesting it is, choice. Yes, interesting choice is a is a good way of putting it. <laughs> um, and yeah. I have to say, like, so you were talking a little bit about the structure of the book and how it works in the film, and also like the reverence that this movie has to its predecessor, which is very strange. It would be like if, like, in the second Sam Raimi Spider Man, like a full 30 minutes was devoted to flashbacks of Peter in high school from the first movie. It's like, what, why are yeah. we doing this? Um, <laughs> but 
I have to say, like, when I was going into the movie, I was like, I really love those kids from the first movie. I hope they find interesting ways to keep them in the movie because I would be, it would be a shame if we don't get to see much of them. And, yeah. and then when I actually saw them every single time, I was like, Oh God, why are we doing this? We like, don't give me yeah. what I wanted. This is terrible. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> oh, if, if they managed to recut it, um, using all the footage they've got, they could make a really cool mini series because. The way the book works is like middle-aged people, then they flash back, and then that flash, and then we have like a long flashback of them in the fifties. Then it comes back to the eighties, and that flashback influences what they do then as grown-ups, and it keeps doing that. So you kind of have like the plot line of one and two are running at the same time. So you have like it's an interesting thing to it, it, it's very well done, basically. Yeah, that sounds but the problem really is with this. <laughs> it's cool. But the problem is, the kids' plotline is the better plotline. The adult stuff's fine, but it's so heavily influenced by the kids' stuff that if you have it in isolation, as we as you see, it's it's again is too reliant upon the the kids' stuff in order to work. So it doesn't work because you are just sort of like that. You're waiting. You know, you know more than the characters do, so you're waiting for them to catch up with you, and that's not loads of fun there's a way where that can work well like that like that dramatic tension could be a really good tool for someone crafting a, a tense horror film but they don't yeah use it for that effect really at all unfortunately <laughs> and yeah, i just and it. i also have to say like i was just constantly distracted by like is this a flashback to something that we saw in the first movie? Because I'm sure, Noah, you didn't have this experience because you had just seen it. Yes. But for me, I haven't seen the first one since it came out. So I'm like, did we already see this? Yeah, no, the first one's very like, was very Is this a scene that we already saw? Is this like a cut scene from the first movie that they're including? Or is this like a digitally de-aged scene? Because they definitely did that in some of the scenes. And it was yeah. not great. Like, it wasn't terrible no. but like especially the stuff in like that little clubhouse underground like all of those kids looked weird <laughs> like they were definitely de-aged in a way that especially finn wolfhard i thought was like really distracting because i get his face is just so different now than it was like two and a half years ago yeah. and it just was like well oh, it's it's it really didn't work for me <laughs> well that's the thing i only watched the film like five months ago or four months ago and i had the same thing like it's it's not a classic that is burnt into my retinas i was just sort of like is this new <laughs> is this old do i care why should i care and is that and his also, real well, face <laughs> constantly having the kids reappear you're just reminded that their storyline was the better storyline right and is mostly wrapped up you know like yeah. by the end of that first movie yeah. Like, not everything is resolved, but a lot of it is. And then when you just go back, they're going, they're not even going back to times after the first movie. They're going back to times during the first movie. So it's. Yeah, yeah it's like supposed to be the bits of the first movie that we didn't see. And it's like that movie, is... I felt like we saw everything we needed to see. <laughs> you know? Yeah. At no point was I like, oh, what yeah. was Richie's no. life like when he was at the arcade? You know, we like, I, I, I didn't care. Like, <laughs> like yeah. we saw his arc in that movie. We know what happens. Like that, everything that was important we saw already. So what is this now? I don't get it. Mm. So it was very distracting. I will give my final thoughts. Obviously, you guys keep going because you, you're well into a thing. Um, my final thoughts. I would say it is aggressively fine. You know, it was it was fine. It was I would give it. Uh, this is fine. It's fine. You know, I kind of came up the movie and uh, my wife said to me, "Oh, what was it like?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was it was fine. It was um, 
uh, it was a movie that I have seen. <laughs> it is. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. It wasn't the best thing. It is. It is something. Colors and sounds moved in front of my eyes, and I registered <laughs> it, and my life will continue. And frankly, if you guys, if Shanza, if you guys hadn't invited me onto this podcast, I probably wouldn't have watched it at the cinema. I would have waited for it to come out streaming. But to be honest, I'm glad it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> I would never have seen either of these movies if. Alex had not deliberately scheduled the sequel for our recording, and Justin had not been able to make it, <laughs> so I had no excuse to power out. But that's, that's the thing. I think these are movies that, because of like the uh, cultural sort of currency that Pennywise the Clown has, you were going to see them one way or another. And I think now I've seen them, and that's it. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'll, just, for, for Bill Skarsgård alone, I'm very happy to have seen both of these movies. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what he does other stuff, because I think he's got some good horror chops on him. So I think in a, in a sort of a more subtle sort of thing, I think he can do some really cool stuff. Yeah, you should see him on Castle Rock, which is a, a Stephen King inspired miniseries on Hulu, where he plays mm. literally the opposite of Pennywise. He plays this kind of uh, vacant, mysterious... Oh, okay like force and he does nothing and he is so creepy he just like stares off into the middle distance and it's the scariest thing ever and it's really interesting to see Hello. given how big he is as pennywise but all right thanks for coming on thank you for having me um, thank you everyone check out blue bantha milk co on youtube and twitter at first to last pod and again cinema joes thanks guys for having me always a pleasure um i'll definitely come on again just name the movie and I'll be there. Of course. We're excited to see what your channel does as it leads up to uh, the rise of Skywalker. We're getting there bit by bit. <laughs> Every day brings us closer. <laughs> All right. Bye, Sean. So, Noah, what are your final thoughts on the movie? I would say that both of these movies are definitely superior to the, the Tim Curry miniseries. Uh, the, the Tim Curry bits from those are immortal. But aside from that, I thought the first one was really solid. I think the first It uh, stands on its own as a really solid not like not hereditary level of like terrifying but it's a really it's a really good solid well-made movie um that i very much enjoyed uh especially because of its really rock solid cast the second one is not as good i completely agree with what sean said about it being very unfocused there there were a lot of parts there were a lot of scenes or moments or bits that i really liked in this movie but it's it's very big it's you, you can tell that there were after the first movie, the director was given too free of a rein. Yeah. There should have been more people like trying to put the foot in the put in the brake and be like, "Slow down, <laughs> stick to what worked." <laughs> so it's it's not bad. It's worth noting that Kerry Fukunaga was supposed to make the first movie and is actually credited as one of the writers on the first film because of the extensive work uh -huh. he did on the film. He eventually left the project over budget. Actually, he wanted a higher budget film, and mm -hmm. and New Line just wouldn't allow it they just didn't have enough faith in in the movie which ironic is very ironic in retrospect uh and yeah. i wonder now having seen the second movie how much of the good parts of that first movie are andy machete and how much is fukunaga whose other work i'm a really big fan of um so and i'm really interested to see what he's going to do with james bond next mm. year <laughs> which is basically what he did instead of of it so um yeah, I kind of agree, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think it's like, I think the first movie holds up well as a really solid entry into the Stephen King genre of films. And I just don't think this really holds up well. I mean, what I could say is, is that it's the best 2019 film starring uh, James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain. <laughs> and uh, that's about as high a bar as I'll give it. Shots 
fired. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Noah, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, in addition to my work at Cinema Joe's, all of my written film reviews and other cultural musings are on my blog at francenoir.blogspot.com. Anything you're writing right now that you want to plug probably the next thing i'll write is going to be um a review of this movie and then i will be off on vacation with my wife for a few weeks so it'll it'll be a little bit until i get back into a groove and then it'll be full force into fall movie season yeah so i'll have more i'll there'll, there'll be a lot more like pressing stuff that i'll want to write about so the, the past couple months have been a little dry like there just hasn't been much out that's interested me but i think i am gonna uh, get a review of this film out sounds good um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings or on Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Um, I have a, a couple of reviews up there, including a movie called Ready or Not, which is kind of the surprise hit of late August, um, <laughs> which is, sounds like uh, damning it with faint praise, but it's actually a really fun movie. Um, so you check that out over there. <laughs> and... Also, you can follow our show at Cinema Joe's on Twitter. You can check us out on Instagram for a visual companion to every episode, also at Cinema Joe's. And you can get this podcast now on a variety of podcatchers. Uh, for a full list, you can go over to our Anchor page. Big ones include Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Overcast and all the casts. So check us out there. Thank you again for checking us out this week. Uh, we wish our beloved leader, Justin, good luck and breaking all the legs with his directorial debut. Um, and we'll see you next time. 